0: We're so glad that you are here this morning. Um, <clears throat> we, uh, we, my name is Brent, by the way, and it's Labor Day weekend, you guys. You guys should be camping or something else other than here. Like, I'm glad that you're here, but I, I thought it would just be like me and Aubrey and like Brandon in the back because he has to be here. So um, we're thankful that uh, you were able to make it out and survive. Congratulations on the first week of school for all you teachers out there. Um, if I look refreshed or if my wife looks refreshed, uh, we had two kids go to kindergarten all day long, all the live long day, <laughs> and it was wonderful. Real quick story, my, my son, the first day, we were worried about, you know, it's their first time, like riding the bus and like all day long. They did preschool, but it was like half day, like just till noon, you know, not even, they say half day, it's like two hours, two and a half hours, right? So now this is, I don't know, eight, eight to four, something like that. So we were worried about how he was going to hold up and, and, uh. So Thursday he goes, first day of school. Friday morning, 6 a.m., comes downstairs, fully dressed, backpack on. Mom, Dad, I'm ready to go to school. Do you think I could just go out by the bus stop now? (laughs) I'm like, the sun's not up, buddy. You got to go back to bed, man. Uh, So I think he he is in. I think he bought into it. I think he likes it. So it's exciting. We just finished a uh, four-part series called Our Secular Age, and I mentioned last week we're going to be starting a new series on social justice starting next week called Flipping Tables. It's kind of like one of those in-between weeks, and uh, the reason uh, it's kind of in-between or the reason that we're waiting a week to kind of launch this. I don't like to launch a series on a week that I didn't think people would be here, and so this is kind of a surprise. Uh, We're trying to plan that out a little bit, and also, I wanted to talk through... Uh, some of the uh, mental thinking that went through why are we doing a series on social justice it, like, it right away in this way. And it has to do a uh, big time uh, with uh, just, just thinking through in this fall. I had something else lined up. And this last series caused me to be like, I think we need to make a change. And so we're going to talk about why we, we made that change. And it's going to play along with, if you remember, if you were part of Eastlake back in December of this last year, in December, I came uh, up in front of you and I said, hey, for 2018, uh, um, this is like the, like the last week of December or whatever, uh, everybody makes like New Year's resolutions. What are you going to be known for? What's going to be your big thing for, for the next year? And I said, one of the things that I think we need to focus on better as a church is just baptism. I look back at 2017, we just didn't have, we didn't have a lot of baptisms take place. And I had heard so many incredible stories of all of the things that was taking place in people's lives. And for some reason, we had some sort of an internal bottleneck where those stories weren't making it out. And so I said, we got to do better at this. Uh, and so in 2018, we've seen, I don't, I don't even know how much I should have looked the number up and, and, and seen, but just definitely a noticeable more amount of baptism comes through, which has been incredible. And we've got like, Two or three that are already filmed that are just waiting for their Sundays to come up, and so I'm super pumped about that. This feels a little bit like that, um, not necessarily for the year, but just the next season of what we're going through. I want to I want to pull back the curtain for you a little bit and let you in on some of the conversations that our leadership team and our board have been having about you know what do we what do we what are we strategizing for? What is it's not just maintenance mode. But like, what are we hiring for? What are we thinking for? What are we, what are we putting our energy and our resources towards uh, in this direction? And so this message is going to kind of influence that. And I, I figured it would be good because uh, I, I think that uh, if you are a first-time guest with us, you probably, um, uh, well, one, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, I think it's incredible that you would come on a holiday weekend. Um, but for the most part, I thought that this would be a lot of um, home team people who, who this would be a good message for us. So if you're a guest with us, you get like free pass. This is just like a, oh, okay, cross my arms. I'm not sure what I believe about this place. But uh, we'll see if I come back, and right? That kind of thing. So I do want to talk about what I think makes us, uh, as we go into this, this new rhythm this fall in the school year, which is our, our, um, our uh, flow as a church operates a lot of times along with the school year. So it's been a slow, July, August are slow months for us as a church coming into a little bit faster of a pace, and it really picks up in about January, January through May. Anyways, with that, with that natural rhythm of the school year, I want to talk about the thing that we embrace that makes us a little bit weird, all right? Um, so I titled the talk or whatever, Keep Us Like Weird, which is Blatant Steal. Blatant Steal from Keep Portland Weird and Austin Weird. Um, but, and, and it's funny to embrace the word weird as a church because it's not something that you typically want to be known for. In fact, you may have experienced a genuinely weird church, and in your mind you thought, how soon can I leave? and crud, did I just give them my email address or my phone number? Like, that could be bad news for me long-term, right? Um, It's weird to embrace the title of of weird, Um, and yet uh, when it comes to Portland and, and Austin, you get it. You understand that there are just a few things that are quirky and unique, and they've got their thing. They know who they are, and they embrace it, and they are unapologetically weird, but for all the right reasons. So, what do we, as an organization, want to be known for? What do we want to be unapologetically weird about? So I've got two basic parts to this thing. Um, part one is kind of uh, a little bit about where we've been and what, what has made us weird up to this point. And then part two is kind of like that new, here's where I think we're headed, okay? So uh, in order to talk about part one, I need to let you know or, or talk about a thing called the Hedgehog Principle. Um, which came out of a book called uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins. If you've ever, if you've ever had a boss who's trying to invest in you in like a leadership-wise Uh, like in management or like, I just want you to be a better leader of people or whatever. This is probably one of the books that they recommended or gave to you or whatever. Or if you go through the airport and all of a sudden you get this itch to like work on yourself in terms of self-development and leadership, this is gonna be in the top 10 of business books of, of just all time. It was written several years ago and still it's a big red book. Good to great, Jim Collins. He wrote Built to Last. He wrote a couple other things. In that book, he talks through several different principles. One of the ones that jumps out to me, I haven't read this book in probably 10, 15 years and I still... remember what's called the hedgehog principle. And and the analogy is essentially this, that uh, there's this proverbial hedgehog and a, a cunning and sly fox. Uh, And and they're racing towards success or whatever. Uh, And it's not the cunning sly fox who wins. It's the hedgehog who, when presence is is sensed or danger is sensed, uh, balls up into like this little ball and and sticks the quills out and be like, I don't know what to do and I feel threatened, but this is what I go back to time and time again. And in the proverbial kind of uh, parable or whatever, uh, the hedgehog wins. And you're thinking, Brent, you got it all wrong. It's a tortoise and it's a hare and you just screwed it up and your memory's bad. I don't, it's not, it's, it's this, I promise you, and I, I can't, maybe I'm screwing up some of the details, but I just remember, you can either be cunning and sly like a fox and, 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 and like always trying new edgy things, or um, you can be strategic like a, like a hedgehog and in times of danger, go, go to what you know is safe, all right? Go to what you know is the thing I come back to. And so he defines the uh, hedgehog principle as this. Uh, something that you're passionate about, what drives your economic engine, which is basically a fancy business talk for is this even worth doing, is there a market for it, um, and then what can you or what you can be the best in the world at. And so you've you got to be passionate about it, first and foremost. There's got to be some sort of a market for it, or else it's going to be a waste of your time. And then this last one is the one that's most important. Can you be the best in the world at something? And he basically says you need to be in the top one or two uh, positions uh, of the market share for whatever market you're going for, which is the reason why when you go out to lunch today after church or whatever, and the next time you go to a restaurant and they say, would you like anything to drink with your meal, you ask the question, do you have Pepsi or Coke? You don't ask, do you have Pepsi, Coke, or RC Cola. That is not what you ask anymore. There are two categories. You are either Pepsi or you are either Coke, and that is it. The distance is far third. You don't want to be third in that industry because you just get eaten alive. Like, right, remember Jones Soda tried to get the contract uh, for uh, the CenturyLink Field back when it was Quest Field, and it was like, they only serve Jones Soda, and you're like, I guess I'll take a Jones. Soda. I mean, it just doesn't work. You need to be one or two or get out, basically, is how it works. That's the principle uh, behind this sort of thing. So uh, when we took when we started this church, um, in August of 2010, we, made, we met in Ken and Christy Haynes' living room and gathered a bunch of friends together and said, we're thinking about starting a church. Um, it's August. We want to start sometime this fall. And uh, in, uh, what we want to do now is from now until whatever day we start, because we didn't even have a location lined up at that point, we want to meet together on Sundays, and we want to go visit other churches together, and then we'll debrief. We'll go and uh, sometimes we'll go covertly, like we'll show up at different times so it's not like this big flood of people in. Uh, and sometimes, and every time, I would also contact the pastor the week prior and be like, hey, me and a team of people are applying a church and I just want you to know that we're, we're not trying to steal people. <laughs> we're just coming to see what you do. Um, and so then we would go back uh, to somebody's house or go up to lunch or whatever and dialogue about what you liked about it, what you didn't like about it, what could we steal because um, we're basically thieves, is basically what we're trying to do. We're <laughs> trying to steal best practices like any good, smart you know, business entrepreneur would do. Anyways, all right. Uh, what we figured out is if you are already convinced about Christianity, um, then there are a lot of really great options for you. If you already bought in, then, um, like, we recognize we cannot compete with the big hitters in this way. If you're already on board with the whole Jesus thing and you're looking for the best bang for your proverbial and really not so proverbial because you typically give to the church that you're part of, that, that buck, then uh, then we know that we can't, like, you have better options out there, just so you know. Like if, if this is the first church you've ever been a part of, and you're like, I think I bought it in. Um, I'm always hesitant to allow you to go, <laughs> allow you, to when you go and visit other churches because you're like, oh, they have, what was that? It's like I it sounded like a eight bag of chips or something. Um, <laughs> up here, uh, uh, there are there are churches like that are are way bigger, with really like paid off buildings, you guys, and drinking fountains and things that we don't have. Really cool, cooler kids areas, like awesome. Looks like pseudo Disneyland. Um, They're pastors, and I'm not trying, like, this is not, like, false humility here. They're funnier than me, right? They have better, they're more prepared in their sermons. uh, They're better looking, all of these things. And and I know you're sitting there going, oh, it's okay, Brent, you've got Kylie. I mean, you've got something that can't compete. I know, I get it. Like, these are, these are just facts. And uh, here's what you could respond with saying, because you're, like, totally bought it and you're so nice, right? Brent, it's okay, like, we'll get there, like, someday. We're only seven years in. Man, those churches have been around for 30, 40, 50 years. Of course they have buildings paid off. They've been doing this, blah, 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 blah. right? We can do this. We can be in the top one or two uh, in terms of market for people who are already convinced. And the problem with that is me, because I don't want to do that, <laughs> okay? Like, that doesn't resonate with me, Um. I, uh, the game is too tiring for me as a person. Like, my personality isn't built in that way. And this week, uh, I read about a pastor uh, who took over his dad's church. He was 30 years old, and it's a big church. I'm sure there's tons of pressure going on. It's in Chino Hills, California. Uh, 30 years old, married three kids, three young boys, and uh, his dad passed away about a year ago and had some anxiety, and uh, just the stress of being in the game, trying to produce, 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 Um, ended up having sort of like a mental breakdown, and his wife is telling him, call the hospital, you know, you need to go to the hospital, you need to do this, didn't want to go to the hospital, didn't want people in his community to see their pastor having a mental breakdown, felt it would be hurtful to his credibility, ended up going to the hospital, wearing sunglasses, a hat, sweatshirt, all the way in, still struggling with this kind of stuff. Church leadership team gives him four-month sabbatical to go this whole summer been off um, just to deal with some of this stuff, right? Comes back, preaches two weeks ago, and with his wife, and they talked through some of the struggle stuff. And this last week, took his own life in his office, three young boys. And, and I just read this and I'm like, he's 30 years old. Um, I, I, it's, it's a, it's, guys, it's a, it's a struggle and I'm not, I, I don't bring it up in like, I, I think that my pastor job is harder than whatever it is that you do. I'm not saying that I, at all. I, I just want you to know that in the same way that you feel like your line of work is kind of competitive and drive and be in the top two or whatever, like, this is, we are not exempt, I am not exempt. This is not a cry for help. This is not like, I, I'm great, so don't worry about it, right? So um, uh, that's not what this is about. But I realized, it just drove home for me, and it's unfortunate that it had to be this situation that would drive it home for me. But in a week that I knew I was talking about this, I also see this come through my feed. And so many, so many great pastors and leadership guys are, are reaching out and being like, Let's, we need to talk about this. This is mental health, and the pastoral field is a big deal. Um, much needed conversations to take place. And reinforced for me that I don't want to, I'm not interested in that sort of game. Like, don't want to do it. Um, I don't want it to be about being better than at worship or our building or our teaching or whatever. Do I want to have a big church? Right. Yes, of of course. Why? Because a big church means more people, which means more people connecting with their Heavenly Father. Yes, I'm about that. Uh, Do we want to be smart about the business side? Is there a business side to church stuff? Yes, of course. It's an organization like any other organization. Do we want to be fiscally smart about it? Yes, absolutely. Do we want to be wise in our decision making? Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a question could be, well, can't you be both a really good resource for insiders and a best option for outsiders? Maybe that's what we're trying to figure out, but what we've said, what I've communicated to our leadership team, we've kind of agreed upon, is our hedgehog principle, the thing we go back to and default to in times of danger, in times of, well, we're not really sure what we're gonna do, but we know we're gonna do this. We get together in a ball, stick our quills out, and say we wanna be the best option for people who aren't typically in the church. If that costs us sometimes um, in being so hyper focused on outsiders that insiders don't get sometimes the voice that they think that they due. Well, I give here, I tend here, I serve here. You should, you know, isn't the customer always right? This, isn't this a common business principle that um, uh, we? I want this. I want something better for uh, for my kids in this way or whatever. I, I, I get it, man. Can we be both? Maybe. I don't know. I I, I think that, that might be possible. But what I'm definitely hyper focused on, what my hedgehog principle, just so you know is I want to be the best option. And I think we can be. I actually think that we probably are, and I might be biased in that because um, I'm the pastor, but I I can tell you uh, names and circumstances of people who I see them come through the front doors of our church. I know they go somewhere else, and they've got in their hand-in-hand, they or not hand-in-hand maybe, because sometimes they're guys, but uh, a, a friend who. They go, uh, this is my friend, Kyle. He's going through a little tough time. He asked me about church the other day, and uh, I don't want to invite him to mine. So here he is, uh, and um, I told him that uh, like weird, a little bit weird, not even sure if they're at church, but you might, actually, you might actually enjoy your time with them. So, because you're weird and he's weird, and it, it just might be a match made in heaven. We'll see. And uh, it, like... It, when those types of things happen, it makes me so excited. Like, I love it when it happens right before I come up and teach because I know, like, reinforcement of why we're doing this. I really do think when it comes to this, we can be, should be, are, and need to maintain, and I'm the best option. for That's, the, that's a hedgehog principle. That's a category I think we can be the best in the Tri-Cities at, and we need to be, and I, and I, and I hope that other churches or other pastors or leaders or whatever, look at this and be like, I think we could do it too. Because I'm like capitalist by nature and so I think the competitive thing could only drive us to be better. So I'm, yes, I'm for it. I would love to race somebody else to make sure that we are the best stinking option for people. I hope that someday there are plenty of options. I'm a former believer that the competition makes us better. I'm kind of like Pete Carroll in that way. All right. Um, that's a little bit about where we've been. All right. And then part two of this whole thing is kind of where we're headed, all right? So a little bit of a shift. You'll get it when I read this next line. Have you ever watched somebody close to you re-enter the dating scene? Have you ever had a friend who went through, like, a nasty divorce, and then all of a sudden they find themselves, and they call you at, like, 1030 at night, and they're like, it's just hard. Like, I didn't realize. I've been out of it for so long. Like, I don't even know how to set up a profile on Tinder. I don't know what I'm doing around here. I know nothing about this. Have you noticed, Have you, have you noticed like, the rediscovery process as a human being? Like, their identity for so long was so-and-so's husband or so-and-so's wife or um, my identity is married or long-term relationship. And now it's not, and so I'm, like, rediscovering myself. And it can be kind of a healthy thing. A lot of times... Um, They'll start uh, like taking it better care of themselves physically. They're like, "Okay, this is I gotta, <laughs> I gotta get back out in the dating pool. This is gonna be difficult for me." And they start asking themselves the question, "What is it that makes us, or wh- what is it that makes me attractive?" I think I'm an attractive individual, of course, right? Biased in that way, right? And so, how do I get somebody else to notice that? They begin, they begin, begin to think about like. I'm trying to go for a certain type of person. I want that type of person. So what do I need to be to make that person fall in love with me, right? Because we all have that friend. I have a friend who contacts me and be like, dude, I just need a good Christian girl. And and I'd be like, just, uh, she ain't looking for a guy like you, man. I don't know how to... I hate to break this news to you, but... He's like, can you set me up with one of your Eastlake? And I'm like, no, no, I, I, I cannot and I will not. I love playing basketball with you. I love bantering about sports with you. I am not sending one of my Eastlake innocent people out on that. I cannot do that, right? So uh, what do you do in that scenario? What is it, what's the next step in that area? Now, If you're in the dating scene right now, you are on the edge of your seat, and I have nothing for you. I am so sorry. (laughs) This is not a series, uh, a talk on relationship dynamics. This is about church dynamics. So, like, come back in February when we do a relationship series, or like, better yet, buy a magazine, because it's probably better advice than what I get. I'm bad at relationship advice, okay? So, that's not it. But if our hedgehog principle is to be the best option for outsiders, then a natural question for us has been to ask the question, what is it that they're looking for? What makes us attractive to those types of people? If this is what we default back to, how do we attract those people? How do we get them in the door? How do we get, the, how do we get a chance, just an opportunity, to change their mind about church? Now, for the past several years, I want to talk to the evolution of what we thought would potentially work in this way. We have tried... Uh, Coming up with creative mailers and creative series. Every, when we did a mailer, we're like, okay, if we're going to send somebody, if they're going to get something in the mail, how do we get it, how do we get them to look at it and actually stay focused on it for more than just this goes in the trash, right? Maybe it's creative series stuff. Maybe we are willing to say or highlight or talk about things that other churches would think of as taboo, or we do it in such a creative way where they, they would look at it and be like, ha-ha, and then they throw it away. At least we got a ha-ha out of it or something, you know what I mean? Like, we're, we're focused, and, and, and by the way, like, we still, we know uh, that mailers can uh, can possibly still work. Like, I don't know, we, every every once in a while, we'll get people come up afterwards. I'll say, you know, if we've never met, come up and say, hi, and I'll, I'll ask a question, one of my default questions, is, how'd you hear about us? And uh, they'll, I got a mailer in, like, 2016, and it's, I, I made it. I'm here now, finally, right? Um, and we, I think it's great. So, I I know that they work, kind of, and so we're going to continue to do that. But I, we are, at the leadership level, going, even though it works, it's expensive, and we think it could, there, it could be better. There's better options out there. We're going to continue to do it, but we got to be like, how do we get it better? How do we make it better? How do we make it better? Um, so then we started what's called uh, about last year Uh, Something called the community marketplace page. It was our answer to the question: Do you guys do anything else other than Sunday mornings? Yes. We want people to connect in community. We felt like people wanted that type of a person, right? Person not typically in a church, still has some sort of a craving for community, like we all do, like it's basic human nature. And I want to be, I want to be in community with people who are trying to better themselves. And um, I don't need friends, right? That's what we we wanted to make very, very clear. Um, nobody's in here today probably thinking, you know what I need in my life is more friends. You've got a lot of friends, plenty of friends. Unless you just moved to the area, there are some slight exceptions. You just got out of a messy divorce breakup thing and like all the friends had to pick a side and that's terrible and, and you do need more friends, right? That's, I get that. Or, you, you know, new to the area, then, then yeah, you do, you're like, I need to make contact with people. But that's a very slim minority. For the majority of people, you have plenty of friends, but you still crave belonging. You still want to be surrounded by people who are uh, trying to be a beneficial presence in the world or whatever. So we created this marketplace, and it's been good. It's been fine. I do think there have been some people who have connected in short-term groups, events, activities, um, one, you know, uh, certain uh, surf projects or, or long, even long-term groups. There's, we have a group of people, myself and my wife, and I meet with every Monday night. We love it. But, um, and it's good. But, again, could it, is there a better option out there? Always driving for this better option. And uh, so this, this is, I think, our best guess moving forward, all right? So uh, what, is it, what does the next season look like? A little bit probably along these lines. What if we could be the best at giving ourselves away for the sake of others? What if people in our community would look at it and say, it's weird. They're, they are weirdly obsessed with doing things, with being active in giving themselves away. Like you feel it when you're at the church because everybody seems to be doing something. And then you feel it like it's hard to just go and not be a part of giving themselves away in the community through some sort of a community service or living out what they believe in that way. It's really hard. You feel like isolated. You feel like alone in, in that way. My question then, would that be attractive to the friends that I have who aren't typically in a church? Because typically a lot of my friends who aren't in a church do have opinions about the church. It's not like they're opinionless about it. They have opinions about it, and their opinion is the church should be really good at this already. Like it should be natural for them. It's, it, it blows their mind that churches when churches aren't. Um, they think, "Well, what are you about then? Just getting together and passing an offer plate around? That doesn't sound fun. That sounds terrible. Why would I want to be a part of that? Um, Over the past four weeks, we just finished up the series on our secular age. We took a look at kind of the evolution uh, that we have kind of taken as a social species and what is important to us. And we talked about the priority of expressive individualism as people. We are obsessed with the image that we are trying to portray towards others. We recognize that our choices define us. We, want, we are very strategic about our choices because we know that it says something about us. And so we are constantly looking through the lens of how does this look on me? I want to like and share statuses about supporting refugees because I like the appearance of being supportive of refugees. Even though I may not actually do anything with it, even though I should, um, I, I like the appearance of it. And it's not, by the way, it's not just like, Uh, social, it's not like a, oh yeah, social media made this thing happen. No, 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 no. It's a vehicle that speeds it up a lot faster. I can get it out quickly. I can, within five seconds of a tweet, express something out there. But even when I make a statement of, well, I don't do social media, I am, in a sense, portraying that I want to be seen as somebody who's not overly egotistical about themselves, so therefore I'm not on social media, which is, in a sense, making a statement about who I am. We are all about expressive individualism and how does this look on me. This is so important. So if that's true about our world, so this is where I'm saying, this is the in-between week. If that's true about our world, then wouldn't it make sense to approach it and saying if that's who we're dealing with and saying, we want to be really aggressive at giving ourselves away, because it does look good on you to give yourself away. Uh, that is something you want to be known for. We this last week on Wednesday night we did a volunteer event with Second Harvest Tri Cities, and we had about thirty people show up, and we uh, went through and sorted uh, over four thousand pounds of carrots. Right, and you're you're doing that, and the music's going, it's great, it's a fun, it's a really cool event actually. And, uh, and then afterwards, um, they know, they're, they're like pros at working with volunteers. So then after the event, they're like, well, don't leave yet. We want to announce how many meals you provided, how many pounds of carrots, which I just said over 4,000, so obviously I'm prideful about how many we did, all right? Uh, and then how many, what that equates to in terms of meals served. And then we printed off this big, giant check, and we want to take your picture in front of it. Because they're stroking our ego to make us feel like we gave over 3,000 meals away because all all those oh, go to food banks and everywhere, and this is what it equates to, and look at us. And we smiled big for that camera. And as soon as that picture came through, like she emailed me the picture the next day, I posted it immediately on our Facebook page. I want people to see. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm a sucker for this myself. All I'm saying is we, and, and everybody in that picture, by the way, we didn't have to like we didn't have anybody say, oh, I'm good. I don't want my picture taken. I'm fine. I'll be over here. We hustled to the side wall. We fought for who got to stand in front, who got to hold the check. Somebody grabbed it first. They're like, I'll hold it. And everybody's like, oh, all right, whatever, fine, I guess. You know what I mean? We're obsessed in it in that way. So can we milk that? Can, and, 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 and can we milk that for the sake of potentially getting people to Give us a shot, which hopefully, in turn, if we do it right, allows them to potentially change their mind about Christ, which is what this whole thing is about. And you might be sitting there going, gosh, that sounds manipulative, Brent. It is. It is very manipulative. Now, the side, but, so what's our goal? Is our goal, again, to create something huge and enormous and have huge offerings? No, the goal is more people connected with Jesus. So if the motivations are there, then that's one thing. Also, check this out. This should be a part of our faith anyways. This is something that we should be known for anyways. This is something that historically the church has been known for and has been an influence on the growth of the church, the reason why it survived the first century. So two things on that, a verse and then a quote, and then we're done. The verse comes from Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 45, and you're like, good, he is talking about the Bible today. That's great. All right. Long one for you. When the Son of Man, this is verse 31. By the way, this is Jesus talking. Okay, this is not like Matthew's thoughts on Jesus. This is not Paul's. Oh, this is my interpretation of it. This is this is a uh, Matthew recording what he felt like was important to make sure that it was communicated to the world. Matthew spent several years following Jesus around. He's one of his disciples, and it's unlikely. I've talked about this before. It's unlikely that he, that, that he sat there one day as Jesus happened to preach on the, or talk on this topic. What probably happened is, is not that he sat there going, Jesus, could you say that last line? Because I just I forgot it. You said it too fast. What probably happened is that Jesus said this over and over and over so, so many times throughout his public ministry that Matthew thought, and the criterion of what should make it in this book, in my personal account of the person of teaching of Jesus, he included this. So this was probably something that was part of a pattern of his teachings, Okay. I think that's important to know. Otherwise, you could write this off as, well, I don't know. It just doesn't line up with some of the rest of what we hear about and Paul and whatever else, and so we could just throw this out. I don't think you can do that. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in all his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. That's important. You need to, I don't have the, it's not in your note sheets like the verse. I would say underline it, we'll come back to it, but just know that that's there, okay? All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd, separate separates the sheep from the goats. In fact, this is called the parable of the sheep and the goats in the little like subtitle in your Bible at home. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. We're entering into a, a verse that you've seen before, okay? That first part, you've probably never heard of sheep and goats before. Maybe you have. But this one, is on the screen with Sarah McLaughlin music and kids who are starving looking at you with their bright blue eyes, and you're going, oh, and then immediately after, here's, let's do an offering, right? So this phrase comes up a lot. So you're familiar probably with this phrase. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous, those on the right, will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, "The music shifts, right? Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I don't know what that means, but I don't think it's good. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you, hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison? By the way, again, this is a parable. Don't think this actually happened because it's the same verbatim words, one and the other. The ending is going to be a little bit different. But both of them responded, well, when did we do that? Well, when did we do that? When did we see you and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the one of the least of these, you did not do for me. A classic example of this idea of giving yourself away, being generous, doing doing something for others. Now, a little bit of history in this verse, okay, from a uh, social standpoint or a... I guess theology standpoint. Uh, back in the like, 80s, 90s, there was a strong resurgence of what's called the social gospel. Like We're going to go out and what's most important is that we are really good people and do really good things. Okay? And this verse is classically used. Why? Um, because there's no mention of him saying, you gave me good water to drink and clothes to wear and you also believe that Jesus Christ is the one and only true savior of the world who died on the cross for your sins and is coming again. And so therefore, right? there's none of that. It feels like be a good person, and good things will happen to you. And so, therefore, we need to rely less on Pauline, soteriology with a fancy word for what justification through faith is, and move towards this, right? So that could be a danger. You could be sitting here going, oh, Brent, so now we're going to be part of this church where Jesus is never talked about. Jesus is kind of like an optional, but we have to be really good people. That's what's most important. That's not what I'm saying, okay? All I'm saying is it's not everything, but it's not nothing either. It's something, he included this in here for something. Do I think it's different? Do I, I think it's complicated because this whole idea of all the nations will be gathered before him? Do I think that there's like this judgment that's like unique? Because usually it's like, um, I know he's judging the world, but he also judges the Christian. Is this, what does this mean? Can you just be a good person and that's enough? I don't think so. I think it's more than that. But I think that being a good person is something here. I don't think we can write it off completely. And what's more important than getting involved in the hula hoops and and the the bars of what's involved in all of that, I think it's way more critical to look at what is unique about the way that these people were giving themselves away. Two things stand out to me. One is in their giving, it was incredibly simple. You clothed me. You gave me something to drink. You gave me food to eat. You came and visited me while I was sick. You cared for me when I was sick. You came and visited me while I was in jail. Not a lot of costly things. A very, not like, well, someday when I'm rich and I can really write a check that has some real impact and really changes the game. This is availability at all levels. Simple in that way. Number two, uncalculating, which is reflected in their questions. Well, when did this happen? When did we do that? When did we do that? And he begins to respond with, you didn't even know it was me, and you did it anyways. You didn't help me out because you thought it was me. That would be calculating. You didn't help out people who had an opportunity to someday pay you back. You just did it. You helped out because you couldn't help not helping out. If you helped out because you knew it was gonna be me, then that speaks less of what you're doing in this way. Compare that with, again, if, we had, if we'd known it was you, all we thought it was somebody insignificant. So therefore, we didn't do it. I think that speaks to the kind of love, the kind of outreach, the kind of way that we give ourselves away. Simple and uncalculating. What if we were weird because of our simple and uncalculating love for others? Could that be something that people who are on the outside look at and be like, I don't know if I agree with them, but man, that's, that's a little bit attractive to me. I think I could be a part of community where that's prioritized. And in the middle of that community, I, or in the middle of that experience, I, I experience community, I experience belonging in a sense. And I, I, I begin to open up my mind and my heart to potentially being changed about things, about faith and God that I'd never really been there before. You see, that... That could be a big piece of the puzzle. That could be, guys, it could be better than mailers. I'm just telling you. It's a lot cheaper than mailers, too. Um, It could be better than a community marketplace. Do I want to do mailers? Do I want to continue that? Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever it takes, man. I'm passionate about it. And I think this potentially has the best ROI or return on investment that we could possibly do, that we capitalize on this. And by the way, this is not unique for us. A guy named Rodney Stark... Wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. He's a um, historian who uh, teaches at UW, not a Christian, agnostic. Writes about how do you explain how Christianity survives the first century. Fantastic book. In it, he has a quote from a Roman emperor, Julian, in about, I I think it's 200 AD, something along those lines. I might be off on my dates on that. But he writes a letter that was captured in secular history for us. Criticizing his own pagan priests. Trying to tell them, listen, you guys, figure it out. The reason Christianity is growing and exploding is because they take care of not only their poor, but our poor as well. You've gotta be doing a better job. We cannot continue to seed ground to these, this Christian group, These he calls them impious Christians in this way. The impious Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well, and everybody can see that our people lack aid from us. we got to do better, because <laughs> they're killing in this area. And perhaps, perhaps, and, I, and Rodney Stark would argue, that was one of the major reasons that the church exploded onto the scene in the first and second centuries. What if we, in 2018, in the community that is Beautiful Tri-Cities could be known and weird. It's weird. What they do on Sundays is weird, and the way that they live it out and the way that they do it, it's just weird. But I kind of like it. May the same be said about the church that we find ourselves in. Perhaps we can capture the attention of outsiders and welcome them into the family and into the body that is the hands and feet of Christ to the world. And I think it's worth it. And that's why we take what we learned over the next four weeks. We process through it and then we do not only a series on social justice, it can't in there. It won't in there. You are going to see more active opportunities to get involved over the next, I don't know how many months. We're still figuring that out. I don't know what it looks like in terms of programming, but we're going that way. So buckle up and get ready. And the reason we're doing it is we think it could be potentially the most attractive thing for people who aren't typically into church. Let's pray. Father, uh, it's not enough that it's a growth principle for our church. I think that's really a side benefit. I think it's part of the calling you've placed on each and every single one of us. We apologize for those times where, I mean, for whatever reasons we can come up with, we're busy, things going on. Um, I pray that you would help us recognize the growth potential even in and of ourselves on a personal level that can take place when we find ourselves giving ourselves away for the benefit and the sake of other people. I pray that that would motivate us, that that would drive us. I pray that you would give us the wisdom to know what to do corporately and personally, and the courage to act on it in your name. Amen.